Obviously, we are living and educating in an unprecedented time, and I wanted to discuss this question. How do we handle mental health during a time of isolation, and what strategies should we use for distance learning? This week's guest and my Teach Better Speaking Network teammate, Mandy Freylock, shares the importance of structure and grace and provides practical strategies during distance learning. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Mandy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you are definitely a guest I've wanted for a while, and it's so wonderful to have you on. Mandy, I always like to start off the episodes with leadership journeys, and you have a very amazing title that you once held, which was the Director of Innovation and Technology. And I'm just wondering what your leadership story is to to get a position like that. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. I, uh, it, you know, it was kind of funny. I didn't really intend, I didn't start out to be in, in that position, but I was an elementary teacher. And um, as a teacher, I actually became, uh, well, I left teaching was I became burnt out, to be totally honest. And I was looking for a different position. And, and from there, I moved into a tech integrator role. I really, really loved it. I, I loved the just the supporting teachers. I loved being able to, I always felt like it was kind of like instructional coach positions are kind of like the grandparents of the the schools, you know, they can kind of like go into a classroom and they get to see the kids like, uh, you know, for a very short period of time. And then, then they can always give them back. (laughs) And so I really, I loved that role and an opportunity came up where one of uh, the school districts near where I lived was hiring a director of innovation and technology. And it essentially was a, it was an administrator role. It was both a director of educational technology and the director of, of the actual tech. Sure. So I was super fortunate to have an absolutely amazing network administrator um, because that was not my background. I do have, I have my bachelor's degree in education and I have my master's in education administration and also a master's degree in technology. So it's not like ed tech, it's, it's straight out tech. But I didn't have enough of a background in networking to be able to fulfill those duties. So I, I learned a lot while I was in that position, but ran the department. I learned so much in every position that I was in. But what I got out of that position, I think the most was just my kind of passion and purpose for supporting teachers. Like I I knew that that was really kind of where my wheelhouse was. So, but I recently retired from that position and now I'm consulting full time. Yeah. So I want to talk about the director of innovation just a little bit more. What were some lessons that you learned now that you can, you know, look back and reflect on your transition from an instructional coach to a director? What was some of the maybe misconceptions or things that were really hard to, to learn immediately? Well, I think that there was a couple interesting things that that happened almost right away. And, and I had a little, I had sort of an inkling, I, I think kind of the other thing about being an instructional coach is you're, you're kind of like middle management. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a, you get a look at what's going on in administration, if administration keeps you in the loop and, and in the district where I was at, they really did, like we were often a part of the conversations and with the administrators at that table. And so we were able to see that part of it. And then we were also able to see where the, the challenges were in the communication with the teachers and how that information was kind of disseminated. So I did have a little bit of an inkling as to what would happen. But when I got into administration, I think 
I realized a couple of things. First of all, I realized that trust often follows the position, not necessarily the person. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about that in Divergent EDU because I think it's important as well in any profession really, but specifically in the the kind of people focused profession that we're in, that if we don't trust our principal, we more than likely will not trust the principal who's coming in after us. And so I had to spend a lot of time building up trust in me and building up trust in the position. And it was interesting to have to look at it almost from coming from behind, you know, where you're not put in a position necessarily for success right off the bat, because you're not just blindly given trust. And I don't know why I thought that that would be the case necessarily. Um, But I guess just in my ideals of being excited about a new position, I kind of thought that would, but it wasn't. And it was fine. I, I worked for it. And I think that ultimately I got it. I also think being an administrator is interesting because you get a seat at the table to see how decisions are actually made. And transparency is so interesting because like when you talk about transparency, if you are not trusted, you actually need more transparency. But in the grand scheme of things, there's kind of this gray area where people don't need to necessarily know everything not because they don't have a right to access to that information, but because it's just not in kind of their job description. And it's, it's not something that they have to worry about. And so there's this delicate balance between making sure people have the information and then not overloading people with information that they don't need because it's not part of their job. Yeah. And I think that that's a tricky balance as well. But like I said, it, kind of going back to that trust issue you are lacking trust, you need more transparency. So that was a, that was another aha moment for me in administration. I want to kind of hone in on that trust piece. So just real quick, before we move on to another topic is when you are going into a new position, or maybe it's going to a new campus or new district, you know, you have to build up that trust. What are some strategies that you use to um, get people to understand that you're there, you know, for the right reasons, and you have the skills and that you're going to do the best job possible? Yeah, I think what one of the things that happened to me right away is that I went in kind of whole hog thousand miles per hour, I'm going to do the best job I can. And, and I'm going to have amazing ideas and everybody's going to love them. And then I like hit a wall, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, that's cute. Go back to your office. You know, that's adorable. And I think one of the things that I realized I needed to do was slow down, actually, and take more of a back to basics approach when I hit that wall, it dawned on me that it wasn't full speed ahead what people needed, they actually needed to see me doing the most basic support things for them. if that meant going into their into their classroom, and you know, even just playing around with their projector trying to get it to work if the other techs were busy, that's what it meant. It meant answering their emails in a timely fashion, it it meant all of the basics, like kind of back to basics. And Mm -hmm. I addressed my department as a, you know, we're going to become a department of let's see how we can make that work. Um, We'll, you know, we can't be a department of yes, because the second you say no, then all of a sudden, you've, you've broken that trust. And so we worked very hard on customer service and Uh, making sure everything was working and having a robust infrastructure so that, 
you know, the internet wasn't going down and it could be reliable and, you know, trying to have a quicker turnaround on things being broken and things being purchased and implemented. And that back to basics approach really helped with the trust level quite a bit. Also put me in positions where I interacted with the teachers more, which was great for building trust as well. No, I love that idea of when you think of director of innovation technology, you think of the someone that's, uh, this is going to sound really bad, but like you saying, working on a projector, like that, that shouldn't be your job. <laughs> but I think it would right. show a lot to those around you as far as like you're willing to get in there and do the dirty work. Right. And, and honestly, you know, it's, it's all a part of that building relationships piece, right? Like I can't talk to people about being innovative if they don't trust me to know what I'm talking about. And, and sometimes when I'm fooling around with the projector buttons to see if I can get it to work, because goodness knows, I wasn't an expert on projectors at all. Um, But sometimes when I was just helping, I would start to have conversations about curriculum and innovation. And it might have been my primary task might have been fixing the projector. But in essence, I was building relationships and having the conversations I wanted to have. And just because it wasn't in the way that I wanted didn't mean it wasn't effective. Sure. So I want to go back to your answer previously when you were talking about your leadership journey and how you were a teacher and you got burnt out. And I know one of your passions is reengaging teachers into the profession. So what are some mm-hmm. things that you did to reinvigorate the teachers in your district to find the love and passion of teaching again? So I have a, a book coming out um, in the next couple of weeks. It's called Reignite the Flames, Finding Our Passion and Purpose for Learning Among, Among the Embers. And it's, it's about exactly that, kind of my journey of coming back from, it was kind of a mixture of burnout and demoralization and my experience where I, I discovered one day that my unhappiness had a lot to do with me and me alone. And it's very humbling to figure out that you are the source of most of your problems. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the book really kind of goes through like the process that I went through to try to re-engage and, and try to put some labels on some of the things that happen to create disengagement with teachers. Because a lot of people focus on burnout. And, and burnout is very prevalent in our profession. And, and is, I'm definitely not dismissing that. However, there are a lot of reasons why people disengage. And I usually use burnout and demoralization as kind of the, the two that I, that I compare, because if you are burned out, you know, what you're supposed to do is kind of step back from what you're doing. Like you're doing too much. You need to step back. You need to try and find balance. But for demoralization, if you're demoralized, actually what you should be doing is finding your identity again in education and finding what makes you special and what makes you what makes you teach. And so those are two very different approaches to kind of healing from those two issues. And so if we don't recognize the difference between them, we're not working on the right thing in order to heal. So as far as the my teachers in my district, I did a lot of like mental health work within the district. I was on the district mental health committee and the citywide mental health committee and and tried to do that. A lot of times the reaction I got was, you're the director of innovation and technology. Why are you here? <laughs> you know, like, and, and my response was always, do you really think that technology has nothing to do with mental health? And, and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk about that because mental health, I mean, that's just a, a big topic right now due to the circumstances that we're in with distance learning and not having these connections with other people because of quarantine. What are some things that people can do right now for their mental health in a state of isolation? Yeah, the isolation piece is a big deal. And and to be honest, I knew it was coming at, as soon as they started to lock people down. I knew it was going to be an issue because I had dealt with it on a very low level when I left the district. And I went to consult full time and I was home all day, all by myself and trying to work with my, my kids when they were home and, and doing some of those things. And now, obviously, if I wanted to go work at a coffee shop at that point, I could do that. But it was really about figuring my life out when I had no structure. Mm-hmm. And at the core of a lot of the, the virtual learning pandemic issues, that is what people are dealing with. How do you function when you have no structure? So one of my first blog posts, as soon as we locked down was about isolation. Even if you have people in the house, isolation can be a huge issue. And I guess some of the things I've been telling people when they ask me about the virtual learning and and this type of thing is, uh, number one, set a routine and stick to it. Nobody should be working from six o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, you should not be answering student emails at 10 o'clock at night. You know, you are working your you might be available during your school day or through office hours, be very clear what those are, but do not answer things at um, after the school day. And I know that sounds crazy. For some people, some people are like, well, I have to answer them. No, you really don't. You really, really don't. You know, nothing is going to happen to them that's so catastrophic that you should be giving up your downtime for that. Another thing that I highly recommend is that you plan out for a week and you allow students within that week to finish their assignments at their pace. It's a little bit more difficult because you have to make sure students are, are finishing their things but there are going to be days where students have rough days at home and they can't get things done. They don't feel like doing them. They're just like us at some points. It's not laziness. It is overwhelm. And then also from a teacher standpoint, it's easier if you're not having to constantly every day be putting something out at a certain time, you can put it out for the week. And instead you can use that time to touch base with students or do some of those more one-on-one or small group things. As far as from the personal side of things, setting the routine with your own kids at home. And this is, it sounds so much easier to say than to do, but one of the reasons that we have routines in the classroom is to provide students with that kind of, you know, psychological safety. Like they know what's going to happen next. It makes them feel safe. And the same thing goes at home. You know, when we provide that for our kids at home, it makes makes them feel safe. It makes us feel better. We know what's coming. And then also kind of what goes along with that is give yourself, give your own kids and give your students grace. Everything is not going to stick to the routine every day and everything is not going to go as planned. And that is totally fine. People are being workers and teachers and housekeepers and dishwashers and parents and fur baby parents and the whole nine yards all at once. And we're not meant to do that. So give yourself some grace. No, I love that. You know, one good thing about what's occurring with e-learning is that a lot of 
people are are being stretched as far as their technology skills and and learning new strategies online. So for our listeners who may be trying to experiment during this time of of e-learning, is there any innovative strategies for teachers or some virtual programs that you would recommend? One of the things that I actually recommend is to find a few tools and use them in innovative ways and stick to those tools. So a lot of people want to start using 25 tools and and what's happening is kids are getting overwhelmed. They're needing to learn to actually use the tool and their content at the same time. And, And to be honest, none of us were ever asked to teach ourselves at home, you know, when we were elementary kids or middle school kids or teenagers, you know, high schoolers, we were never asked to teach ourselves at home. And that's what our kids are doing right now. And the more tools we throw at them, the less likely we are to actually know what they know about the content. And so to pick a few and, and, you know, Flipgrid obviously is a huge go-to that I, I recommend a thousand percent. Wakelet is a great one. Synth, which is a micro podcasting tool. I would love to see some teachers having kids create podcasts about their experiences right now, what they miss about pre-pandemic, how they think the world is going to look like afterward. Like those are huge critical thinking skills. And so I really think, uh, like I said, picking a few tools that work just in multiple ways, using those tools in innovative ways really is kind of the best course of action. So Mandy, I want to talk about some of your projects and one you mentioned before, which is Divergent EDU. So for aspiring leaders who haven't had a chance to read that book, would you just give a quick synopsis of the book? Yeah, absolutely. So Divergent EDU is based on an organizational structure that I developed to support teachers in innovative and divergent thinking. And that's called the Hierarchy of Needs for Innovation and Divergent Thinking. And why the book was actually written was because I developed the structure for the purpose of a presentation. And I put the the graphic out on Twitter and it just kept getting shared and shared and shared and shared, retweeted and retweeted. And um, finally, there was a school district in South America that contacted me and they said, we're going to use this to go ahead and plan our next two years of PD based on this. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I'm so, you know, so thrilled. And then later I had another district who, who said the same thing. But when they said it, they told me how they were going to use it. And it was very much in a compliance manner, okay. which is not at all what the hierarchy is about. The hierarchy is not about compliance. It's about support. And so at that point, I thought, I better write a book on this so people really know yeah. <laughs> how to how to use it. Um, so that's kind of how Divergent EDU came about. It's amazing what, what comes out of just small little things like that. I mean, it started with a social media post and it, it's now grown into something much bigger. Right, yeah. You know, it seems like a lot of my guests have some type of story like that with social media. When was it that you realized that you had a voice that other people really wanted to listen to? <laughs> That's a great question. So I actually think it wasn't so much on social media as it was through my blog posts. I had gotten to a point in my in my blog posts, which this was uh, one of the ways that I re-engaged when I had disengaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to a point in my blog post that I realized that when I was writing a blog, it really was for my own reflection. And it really wasn't about trying to please readers, which I think is what a lot of blog writers do. Um, They get really lost in the, what is my audience going to like? 
And, and admittedly, I totally started out that way because I didn't know how else to do it. And then just one day I thought, oh my gosh, this is helping me grow so much as a professional that this really needs, this needs to be almost what feels like a selfish act. This needs to be about me. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, my blog posts are things that I need to think about. And so because of that, they're very vulnerable. And that vulnerability is something that people like to read about. And so it wasn't, I've never changed the way I blog because it is always about my own self-reflection. But I also realized that that vulnerability is what people needed to hear. And that's where my voice was. And so it was kind of a kind of cyclical how it came about. But I think, you know, social media obviously is a way to share that vulnerability out and those blog posts out. And so social media in, in that way helps me do that. So let's talk about your literal voice. You are the co-host for Teacher's Aid podcast on BAM Radio. And I always love hearing kind of the origin stories of podcasts. So where did that concept come from? Yeah, so um, I can take zero credit for that. That was all John Harper, who is, I, I absolutely love the man. He is one of my favorite people in the world. He had already started Teacher's Aid and he had picked it up from somebody else, actually. They, they had been doing it a little bit differently, but somebody else had been doing the podcast. To be totally honest, I can't remember who it was. And then John picked it up from them. And the idea is social emotional support for teachers and I wrote a blog post a couple years ago. It really addressed my depression and how I was really tired of people just telling me to not be sad. And, and that's really not what depression was about. And, and it kind of was another one of the blog posts that got shared quite a bit. And so John came across it and he asked me to be on the show. And um, I really believe that my purpose in education is to uh, support teachers because when we you know, when we support teachers, we're best supporting students. So um, I agreed to be on the show right away. And we had really great chemistry. And so they asked me to come back on and, and to continue hosting with John. And that's how that happened. So it really kind of fell into my lap and was a fantastic opportunity. And I absolutely love um, Errol and Jeanette from the BAM Radio Network. They are fantastic people. And I'm super fortunate to work with John. So I, I love Teacher's Aid. No, it's a fantastic podcast, and anyone that hasn't listened to it needs to make sure that they do that, and I will make sure I have that link in the show notes. Mandy, I always like asking at the end of the episode, if there's an aspiring leader out there that does not hold a leadership position but wants to make an immediate impact, what is something that they can do tomorrow or maybe after the pandemic is over? Oh my gosh. So one of the things that I do kind of on the side is I teach a graduate level course for aspiring principals and directors of instruction. And we, so the one thing that we talk about a lot in class is the idea of uh, vulnerability and leadership and also change. And so their um, assigned readings are actually Dare to Lead by Brene Brown and also Switch uh, by... Are the authors Chip and Dan Heath? Yep, that's them. <laughs> the reason that we that I talk about those is because I really do feel like until you understand uh, what vulnerability is and how it impacts your leadership, you can't really ever claim to be an empathetic leader, which I think is one of the most important important parts. Um, I really do believe that when you um, when you move up, sort of the hierarchy of a district, 
you're not managing more people, you're supporting more people. So, you know, when I was a teacher, I supported my, my parents and my students. And when I was an instructional coach, it was parents, students and, and teachers. And then as an administrator, it was, it was everybody. It was parents, students, teachers, custodians, secretaries. And so it wasn't that I was managing more people. It was supporting. And you can't properly support um, if you don't understand change and how it works and how to be vulnerable. So that would be my recommendation. And that takes a lot of personal work. Mm -hmm. That's not something you can go to a class for and understand. That's a lot of self-reflection and an understanding how your brain and body works and how you react to certain things. And so it's probably one of the most important tips that I give my grad students. Mandy, for someone who's listening and is not connected with you, how can they connect with you on social media? Uh, yeah, so they can find me at uh, Freilich M. It's F-R-O-E-H-L-I-C-H-M um, on Twitter. Otherwise, www.mandyfreilich.com. Um, actually, www.divergentedu will bring you there as well. And, and that's a little bit easier to spell. So I try and give that one out too. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram, Mandy Freilich. You can find me, Mandy Freilich, on LinkedIn. And then Leadership, Innovation, and Divergent Thinking on, on Facebook. Mandy, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you this evening, and I just love your inspiring story. It's wonderful to have a guest on with such vast amount of leadership and providing so much wisdom to our listeners. So thank you again. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.